blessed them over these years. We're not going to take up an offering today. We actually have boxes at each door for you to be able to give your offering in. So if you would do it that way, that just helps us be able to abide by some of the requirements that the health department has put upon us. Um, Let me ask you, how many of you have taken time recently to consider your impending demise? Uh, You do know you're all going to die one day, right? Isn't this a great opening to a Father's Day message? I knew that. Um, I think uh, life and death are good subjects for us to think about, not only on Father's Day, but pretty much any day. Uh, I think it's good for us to consider what it is that we're doing in this life that enables us to store up treasure for the next. In other words, what is the legacy that you are leaving? On Father's Day, as we think about being fathers, we think about what is it that we're leaving behind for our children? Well, this life, whether you realize it or not, is pretty short. You know, back when we were young, how many of you remember, think, how many of you remember thinking when you were young that 20 years old was old? 30, you're over the hill. How many have realized that the older you get, the farther away older gets? It's like, I'm in my 60s, and it feels like, you know, old is not until you hit 90s. Well, the truth is, we're all going to die, and I think it's important that we consider some things. I've given some thought to my death, and and I know how I would like it to happen, so I'm kind of saying this publicly now so that my wife hears it. I haven't told her this, so you're hearing it with her. Um, The way I pictured it is this. On my deathbed, because I'm kind of hoping I die in bed, not like in some kind of flaming crash or something like that. Um, On my deathbed, I would like my family to gather around. And I would like to impart to them some words of wisdom that could hold them for the rest of their lives. Now, the truth is, what I would have to say probably is no wiser than anything else I've ever said. But isn't it true that when you say things on your deathbed, it kind of lends it some import, some weight of value to it? Um, Conrad Hilton, some of you might know the name, he was born in 1887, and over the next 92 years, he created a hotel chain around the world. On his deathbed, he was asked, What is one final word of advice you can give us that would help hold us for the rest of our lives? He thought about it for a moment and he said, make sure you leave the shower curtain inside of the tub and not outside. (laughs) That's some deep wisdom. Um, Samuel Upham, who was a professor at uh, Drew Theological Seminary, was on his deathbed and After some time had passed with his family gathered around and he hadn't said anything, he hadn't moved, hadn't opened his eyes, they began to whisper to each other, do you think he's gone already? And finally, the mother said, feel his feet because no one ever dies with warm feet. Samuel Upham opened his eye and said, Joan of Arc did. I'll give you guys time to catch up. Now... I probably won't be able to do anything as witty 
as Samuel Upham or Conrad Hilton because I'm the kind of person who thinks of pity comebacks, pity comebacks way after the fact and usually after somebody else tells me what I should have said. I, I just don't think of it. But what I would like to do is I would actually like to use the Bible today to give you some words of advice. So if you would, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. I think it's a passage that would be a good passage for us to read because it's written specifically to fathers. So fathers, listen up. Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline, the way of the Lord, but also with a sense of awe, a sense of love and honor toward God. Um, I grew up in an era in which TV became very popular. It was the 1960s, and there were a lot of really good shows on. How many of you remember some of those shows? Uh, let, let me give you some names and see if you remember what show they came from. Uh, Ward Cleaver. Who was that? What was the show? Leave it to people. Okay, Jim Anderson. Father, who said that? Thank you. Father knows best. How about Andy Taylor? Andy Griffith show, the best show that ever hit TV. Uh, John Walton. The Waltons. That one was too easy. How about Mike Brady? The Brady Bunch. Okay. Um, here's one. Lucas McCain. The Rifleman. Ben Cartwright. Or... Bonanza, that's right. Uh, Danny Williams. No. Make room for daddy. Who said that? Somebody. All right, make room for daddy. Did you notice that all of those shows had a central father figure? And those fathers would have problems come to them from their family, and they would solve those problems with amazing wisdom in under 30 minutes. Don't you fathers wish you could have done that? Who do we have on TV now that represents a good father figure? Honestly, I couldn't think of one. I mean, we had to put up with uh, Homer Simpson and Al Bundy with uh, Snooky and... and uh, Paul to tell. We had to put up with these guys that made father figures look like they were either bumbling idiots or they were just plain evil. We have lost the sense of the value of fathers. Probably the best father figure that I could see on TV in the last 30 years was Cliff Huxtable. Remember that? The Bill Cosby show? And I know that his life has taken a turn, which I regret, and I'm Sure, he does too. But he wrote a book uh, called Fatherhood. And in this book, it has a chapter that's entitled A Baffling Question. And I want to just read one little portion to you. Bill Cosby wrote, and he said this. So you have decided to have children. You have decided to give up quiet evenings at home where you listen to good music and read good books. 
You've decided to give up lazy weekends when you just held each other in your arms and assured each other of your love. You've decided to give up quiet dinners where you could finish complete sentences. You've decided to change all of your couches into trampolines. You've decided to give up your pursuit of the reproduction of fine art and start coping with the pursuit of the production of yourself. Why? That's the baffling question. He went on. Poets tell us that one of the reasons that we want to have children is because we desire immortality. Yes, I confess, I asked God for a son to carry on my family name. And God did exactly what I asked Him to do. But now, there are times when I beg my son not to reveal his identity. I beg him, make up a name, any name, but don't tell anyone that you belong to me, whatever you do. Immortality? Now I'm the father of five, and my only hope is that I will live long enough to see all five of them finally leave home. Maybe you felt that way too. Uh, Home is sometimes a maze of major personalities. You've got different children, and every one of them has a different personality, and the way they express it is different. Uh, Today, what I want to do is I want to give you, out of this text and out of the Word of God, I want to give you four words of advice, and I'm giving them to you now as something of an older man. I've now lived long enough I've raised my children that I think I can say that I'm an expert. No one laughed. You should have. I'm really talking to you out of all of the mistakes that I've made in my life. And I think sometimes some of our best lessons are learned from other people's mistakes if we have the ability to really learn. So, I want to give you four words of advice. Number one, teach your children about parental authority. By the way, this isn't about massaging your ego. I can remember when my father used to say, this is my home and my rules. I'm the king of my castle. Well, That's not the attitude I'm talking about at all. I'm not talking about you bolstering your ego, and I'm not talking about you making your life easier. But I believe that if children aren't taught the value of your authority at home, they will never learn to value the authority outside of home well. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about some of the stuff that has gone on even recently during this pandemic shutdown. Some of the things that have been written on Facebook. Some of the stuff that has happened in our world. So, teach our children early about parental authority. But how do you do that? I think you start at a tender age. You start at two, or three, or four, or five. You start at a young age, and you begin to teach them to respect your authority because I have found that if they don't respect your authority at six, they will never respect your authority at 16. And they won't respect anybody else's either. A family is a small society. And if they can't learn to live at peace within that society, they won't do so well at our extended society. I think you have to start early. And what you do is you establish some kind of parameter. Here's some guidelines for what it means for us to live at peace in our home. And I can almost promise you, 
You will set up a guideline. You parents have done it. You have said, don't go past the edge of the sidewalk with your bikes. How many of you have ever said that to your kids? And you watch your kid, and I, and I watched this happen just the other day, by the way, with one of my grandkids. You watch the child take the bike to the edge, and they look back. What are they looking for? Are you watching them? Do you mean what you said? And then they went past it. And they watch mom and dad look at you and then shake their head and look down. Or maybe they watch mom and dad say, hey, I'll make up a name. Caleb. <laughs> it's a made-up name. Caleb. We said you can't go past that black mark. And he turns his bike around and he comes back. I don't care what parameters you set, what guidelines you set. It's almost a given that that child is going to test it. And I want to suggest to you, and I think this is an important lesson that it took me a while to learn. They're not testing their limitations. They're testing you. Do you mean what you say? And they will test you that day. I mean, the first time it happens, it's kind of cute. Like you say, okay, now don't go out of the room. Stay right here with Mama. And they will put their foot just outside of the room. I'm in the room, Mama. And you'll smile. It's so cute. But it's not cute for long. Because there's going to come a point when you mean it and you want them to obey it. So they test you. And if you fail the test, they're going to test you again. And then the next day, and the next day, and the next day, until they find out what are the real limitations. What is it that mom or dad really mean? So I think every single time, you need to be consistent and faithful. You need to establish that authority. Um, I believe that when they step over the boundary, by the way, that's not the time at that very young age for you to have a sit-down civilized talk about what it really means, what authority is, what guidelines are. I think that's the time when you apply the Word of God which says, spare the rod and spoil a child. I don't necessarily think it means being abusive or cruel or mean. I don't even think it means necessarily spanking. I think it means you train them. You discipline them in whatever way is necessary. In our family, um, we discovered early on one of our children, you can guess which one, we could just look at cross-eyed and they would start crying. They would crumble. You just look at them and they would know they did something wrong and they would start crying and they would repent right there. You could guess who that was. <laughs> Another one of our children, you could tell them a thousand times. One night, we put him to bed. I don't know. Gabriel, how many times do you think? 37 times. Get out of bed. I'm thirsty. Put him back to bed. I'm hungry. Put him back to bed. I have to go potty. Put him back to bed. Again and again until you finally say, stay in bed. Every child is different. You have to find out what works for your child. Some, it's just a look. Some, it's perhaps a little bit more aggressive means. But you find out what works for them and you help to establish those guidelines 
so that they understand there is such a thing as authority in life. I don't think, though, that you can expect your child to embrace the idea of authority. Hear me, hear me. I don't think you can expect your child to embrace the idea of your authority if you don't embrace the idea of authority in your life. And I've heard a lot of it over this time period. And I have to tell you, some of it, honestly, I'm thinking, you want your children to obey you while you break the law? While you speed and you're telling them not to speed? You do the very thing that you tell your children not to do. How can your children embrace the idea of your authority doing what you say when you don't do what those over you tell you to do? And then you pick and choose what laws you think are even reasonable, what laws are right, and you don't want your children to do it at home. Let me add that I believe that discipline ought to be an expression of love, not of anger. I don't think you discipline your child because you're mad because they're disturbing you and you want to just lay on the couch on a Saturday. I think you discipline them because you want the best out of them. And by the way, you saying, and I've had even parents in this church say, oh, I can't spank this child, I can't discipline this child because I just love them so much. That's not love. The Bible says if you don't discipline your child, you actually hate your child. You hate them. Discipline is an expression of love. So the first thing that I want to say to you from somebody who's learned a little bit through life is we need to teach our children about parental authority. The second thing is you need to love your children unashamedly. It's been proven over and over again that those children who are struggling with abnormalities in their behavior often come from homes where they have not heard or felt love. They did a study, I think it was in Boston, in one of the local high schools. They took the 10 children who had the most trouble. They were down at the office the most. They were out of school suspension the most. They took those 10 children, they put them into a room to interview them, and they asked them, how long has it been since your parents either told you they loved you or told one another they loved you? Out of those 10 children, not one could remember one time in their lifetime where they heard mom and dad, and some of them didn't even have mom and dad. Some of them had mom and boyfriend or dad and girlfriend or just mom or just dad. But not one of them could remember a time when they heard or felt love. Then they took the 10 best students and they said the same question to them. And every one of them said, today, before we left for school, or yesterday, or very, very recently. Love creates an atmosphere for your child to thrive. I, I watch people talk to their plants more than they talk to their kids. Talk to their pets more than they talk to their kids. And I think there's something lacking there. We need to love desperately and unashamedly. And that begins, by the way, with the relationship between mom and dad. That relationship becomes the foundation for our children being able to feel secure with understanding the commitment that comes with love. I'm not talking about the fact that you never have any struggles in your marriage. I can tell you assuredly, Karen and I have had struggles. There have been many, many times over our lives when we have struggled and our kids have seen us struggle. 
I hope they've also seen that though we have struggled, sometimes way too much, though we have struggled, we are still committed to love one another and to stay together. We're going to work this out and we're going to get better at it. I think that kind of mindset creates a foundation for them. Because if they can't trust that you, mom and dad, can love each other, how are they going to trust you when you say you love them? That that love that holds them together is going to hold you together as a family. Unashamed love. Not just felt in your heart, but actually expressed. I can remember my father. At one point, we had uh, some kind of dealing and... um, Honestly, I ended up in the hospital from it. And we came home, and I sat in the back of the car, and my father said, you know, I love you. And I'm thinking, yeah, right, I I felt it. I felt it yesterday, and I felt it today. I felt it, and that's why I went to the hospital. So we, and how we comport ourselves in our marriages and in our family, determine the security that our children feel, the sense of identity that they have. So I believe, number two, we need to love our children unashamedly. Don't ever let them get to be so old that you can't express your love to them. Number three, don't try to buy their love. And this one, I I know that being able to give gifts is one of the love languages. I know that. Receiving gifts, I guess, is for some a love language. I know that. But buying gifts doesn't necessarily express love. In fact, I, I was going to look this up and I forgot. Gary, help me. Wasn't there, a, and maybe I'm wrong in this, wasn't there a Beatles song that went something like this, Don't Buy Me Love? Can't buy me love. I thought so. Pardon? Too expensive. Well, nor do I think it's effective. Because the truth is, your children see through that. You can buy them all the stuff in the world. It doesn't mean that you really love them and it doesn't mean they feel love. Um, How many of you remember, how many of you have ever been guilty of starting to talk about the good old days? As you get older, you do. How many of you, though, when you talk about the good old days, you talk about some of your struggles, the hard times, the things you went through back in those good old days when you learned the value of little. You had nothing, and somebody gave you something. I can remember as a kid growing up, this is no joke, My family, uh, we basically lived off our farm. We ate everything we grew or hunted, other than my dad would go to Syracuse like once a year and he would buy hot dogs. He liked those hot dogs and they weren't available anywhere but in Syracuse. But we raised everything, we hunted everything, and we even drank what we had on the farm. We had water, we had cider, we'd have milk, all that kind of stuff. But once a week, once a week, mom would go and she would buy two of those big bottles of RC Cola. Do you remember those? I don't even know if they have them anymore. They would buy like a quart of RC Cola. And remember, how many kids did we have in our family? Thirteen. Two bottles doesn't go far. But she would pour a little bit in every cup and then she'd pour from cup to cup to make sure it was all even so no one could argue. Except for Dad. Dad got the full cup. Um, Because he was the king of the castle. But we treasured that on Saturday night, we would get a drink or two of RC Cola. How many of your kids are thrilled because you let them have a sip of soda? We, we talk about the good old days when I can remember when I got a raise. How many of you guys remember your first raise? My first raise was to 50 cents an hour. 
And I was so excited. I was making money. I wasn't just working for Dad where he would say to you, I let you live. I was making money, 50 cents an hour. I wonder if we rob our children of the value of having to struggle for a while, to have to wait for a while to get something they really want, and once in a while even getting it. I just wonder, is it possible that we have neglected being able to teach our children what it is to actually struggle in life sometimes and getting stronger and better because of it? And I also wonder, this is just an aside, I wonder if sometimes the reason why we as parents buy our children the stuff we do is because we wish we had them when we were little. And we never got it, so I'm going to make sure my kids have it. That was number three. Number four, this is probably the most important. Bring them up in an atmosphere that honors the Lord. Is, is God a part of your life on Sundays when you come to church? Or would your children say that God is a vital part of your life every day? I'm not talking about just even saying the blessing over your food. I'm talking about your language, your attitude, your demeanor, your words. Is God central to everything in your life? And you don't wait to have children to make God central. He's got to be a part of your life already. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Psalm 78, other Bible verses talk about we have to teach our children when they lie down, when they get up, when they stand up, when they sit down. We have a responsibility to cultivate this atmosphere in our home, in our lives, and in our family every single day. Are you cultivating that kind of God-honoring atmosphere? It was in 1992, some of you might remember the Barcelona Olympics, had a track and field event that was like one of the ones most looked forward to because one of the guys, a British guy who was running, was expected to break the world record and do what he had always wanted to win in the Olympics. His name was Derek Redman, and he was racing for a gold medal in the 400-meter race. He was the expected winner. I mean, he was the hands-on favorite. The, the gun went off. They started out of the gate. The, he was doing well. They get to the final turn on the lap of the track. And he's far ahead of everybody. And it's like the race is in the bag. All that was in question was, would he break the world record? Suddenly, he felt a sharp pain go up the back of his leg, and he collapsed face first into the cinders on the track. Sports Illustrated recorded it this way. Medical attendants were approaching. Redmond fought to his feet. It was animal instinct, he would say later. He set out hopping on one leg in a crazed attempt just to finish the race. But when he reached the stretch, a large man in a t-shirt came out of the stands, literally hurled aside a security guard, and ran to Redmond embracing him. It was Redmond's father. His father said, Derek, you don't have to do this. And Derek, with tears running down his face, and says, yes, I do. And then Dad said, then we're going to do it together. Derek would later say, he didn't walk away with a gold medal. He walked away with something far better. An incredible memory of a father who saw his son in pain and left his seat to stand with him in the race. Are you standing with your kids in the race of life? More than all the stuff that's going on, I know it's been an upheaval of a time for everybody. School preschool, you name it, colleges, everything has been kind of up in the air. I understand that. 
But are you teaching your children about the kingdom of God, which is far more weighty than the politics of the United States of America? The scripture says kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Nations rise, nations fall. Maybe one day there will be no more United States of America, but the kingdom of God is forever. Is that what you're training your children in, raising your children in? We need to demonstrate something of God's heart and God's love to our children every day so that when they hear the word Father, they don't shrink back in fear or push away in anger. I heard about a little boy who was asked if he believed in God, and he said, yes, I do. And the questioner said, why do you believe in God? And the little boy thought for a while, and then he said, I guess just because it runs in our family. And my question to you today is, does love of God run in your family? Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads? If you are standing near your father, your husband, maybe just put your hand on their shoulder. If not, that's fine. But let's pray together. Father, I thank you for you, first of all, that our Father in heaven loved us so much that he gave his only begotten Son that we who believe in him should have everlasting life but also abundant life in your presence. Thank you, Father, for your deep love for us that then models the love that we as fathers should have for our families. I know many have failed. I have failed. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your forgiveness. But I also thank you that you change us from one level of glory to another. Lord, I'm asking for your hand to be upon fathers in this house, both here and who are watching online, that your grace, the active work of the Holy Spirit, would be upon each one, helping us to be the kind of men, the kind of husbands, the kind of fathers that you've called us to be, to be that example to our families, to our children, and that rock of Gibraltar for all. Lord, let your grace rest upon each one and let this be a day of celebration because in our little society here called Family Life Church, fathers are not only honored, they honor you and they honor their family. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your Father's Day. Enjoy it.